0: And we're actually going to uh, study a little bit this morning from God's Word, uh, part of the Christmas story. And as you're turning there, we were talking downtown uh, about Christmas foods that we hate. Like, what's a Christmas food that you hate? Fruitcake. You know, that was the number one down there. How many of you dislike fruitcake? Is there anybody here that likes fruitcake? How many of you could care less? How many of you have never eaten fruitcake? Wow. Get some fruitcake up here. What's another food that you hate during Christmas time? Beets? Wow, what kind of weird family tradition do y'all have? Mom, there are beets under the Christmas tree. Anything else? Like eggnog? Do y'all like eggnog? All right. I know what it depends on with you, man. <clears throat> That's right. Well, let's turn to Luke chapter 2 and um, kind of dive into something that I hope is a real source of strength and encouragement for you. You know, we uh, downtown have been talking some about the journey of uh, not being afraid to find those things in our lives that are really causing us pain and suffering and hindering us from really walking in the strength of the Lord. And so we've been kind of identifying some of those things and realizing that when we identify those things, like maybe there are things in your life that uh, are from your past that uh, keep speaking into your present, that keep tripping you up, or maybe there are sins in your life that you've just made peace with and they exist in your life Uh, and you think you can kind of control them, but they're bringing pain. I know yesterday, uh, Randy did a great job with our men's breakfast and just encouraging our men to identify some of those things that we put a sense of hope in that are not hope-worthy. So I don't know what may be going on in your life, but we all have those things that sooner or later, they're either going to overcome us or we're going to overcome them. And so downtown, we've been talking about uh, the journey of putting on the armor of God and really standing our ground, calling some of those things out and really doing serious battle with them and asking the Lord to give us strength in the middle of that battle. But it's a funny thing about identifying stuff in your life uh, because you know you can identify things and you can pray about them and it just doesn't make them go away, does it? You know, you can give them to the Lord and They still seem to be hanging around. It's like just realizing that they're there is only half the battle. The other half of the battle is really doing battle, and oftentimes our lives are marked by waiting. Like there may be things in your life right now that are creating such pain because you're waiting on the Lord to come and meet you in the middle of it. I don't know what that may mean for you. Maybe things that you're hoping that God will do for you. Maybe you're single this morning and you hope one day you'll be married. Or maybe you're married this morning and you're hoping one day you'll be single. You know, (laughs) it's a very real reality. Or maybe, uh, you know, there are other things in your life that you're like, you know, I'm in the middle of the battle and I am just waiting on the Lord. So I think it's really appropriate for us to go to this story and talk about how the Lord gives us some strength in the midst of our waiting. But it is a kind of funny thing when we think about dealing with pain at Christmas time. Because it's not the kind of thing that we normally talk about. I mean, Christmas is a season of cheer and goodwill and pretty things and Charlie Brown and G.I. Joes, Kung Fu Grips. And, you know, I was listening to this comedian the other day and he was talking about Christmas gifts and he was talking about the downside of people giving clothes for Christmas. He said that every article of clothing he's ever received for a Christmas present, he says immediately when I open the box, I know, no, nah. that ain't it. You know, no way. And what do people always say to you when they, uh, when they give you clothes for Christmas? You can, you can always take it back. You know, I got the receipt. And this comedian was talking about, great, you gave me an errand for Christmas. <laughs> I'll pick your dry cleaning up while I'm out. So Christmas can be that, but you know, the first Christmas wasn't necessarily that. I mean, I know maybe many of you have heard this before, but let's get our minds back to thinking about this, that the first Christmas was marked by a lot of struggle. We have this young girl, probably in her teens, who the Lord came to and said, Blessed are you, and came upon her, and she became pregnant. Imagine explaining that to your parents imagine trying to explain to your inner circle to your best friends that something happened that none of them have ever heard happening ever before even in the bible imagine trying to explain that to the people that don't really talk to you but love to talk about you and so all you know is that they're whispering somewhere back there but they'll never talk to you do you think mary was going through a season of struggle you think that this was hard for her that This was a battle where she was in the trenches, really fighting for what's true. And then you got Joseph over here, who's supposedly in love with this woman, and he's engaged to marry her, and he finds out that she's pregnant. Do you think that was difficult for him? And then the Lord came to him, and then he had to go and explain to his parents, no, I'm going to marry her because the Lord told me. He came to me in a vision. Do you think that the people in the Old Testament are different from us, or the people in the New Testament are different from us? That if you went home and said, I'm starting to see visions from God, that your family and your friends wouldn't start wondering, is something going on? Is he putting too much stuff in his eggnog? Mm -hmm. Then the whole story of them traveling. I mean, that in and of itself, we could talk about for 30 minutes. If any of you have ever traveled with a pregnant woman, I need to say no more. And if you have never traveled with a pregnant woman, those of us who can and have, could give testimony. It's a glorious experience. (laughs) Then she gives birth in a barn by herself, a teenage girl, had never given birth to a baby before, all alone except for this calloused hand carpenter who was there with her. Imagine that. And then there's the dreams. You remember the story of Joseph where the Lord came to him in a dream and he said, Joseph, get up. Get your family together and run for your life. Can you imagine the terror of him waking up in the middle of the night knowing that he'd gotten a vision from the Lord and his family's life is at stake and he needs to move them quickly? I mean, think about that. If you're you a father, if you've ever had any of your children in harm's way or your wife, you know how horrifying that can be. Then there's all the strange men that started appearing, you know, the wise guys and... Then all the shepherds and, you know, all this. I mean, think about that. We all, it's a song for us now. But imagine when strange people come up to you. I've brought you gifts. Okay, what's the catch? You know, who are you? It's got to be unnerving, all that's going on. And then the horrific story of Herod uh, slaughtering all the children under the age of two. I mean, it's a real story. It's real people. It's real life with good and bad and hard and just the struggle. And like us, their lives were not a Christmas card. They were complex, they were multi dimensional. But yet, God chose to come into the middle of all that. That's how God chose to reveal Himself was in the middle of all that mess called humanity. And what's remarkable about that is that's still the way that God chooses to reveal Himself. Right in the middle of all the mess of your humanity, all the mess of your pain, your struggles, those things that you are waiting for and longing for and hoping one day, God chooses to show up in the middle of all that stuff. And isn't that beautiful? Because if we can believe that as a church, think how that would transform us as a community that we don't have to dress up and get pretty and change our language when we walk through these doors. We bring every bit of who we are, believing one thing, that that's the, exactly the place that God wants to meet me. Wow! Well, Luke chapter 2, verse 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, his name he was named Jesus. The name the angels had given him before he had been conceived. Stop there just to make a note. Jesus was a real person, born into a real culture, that had real traditions. He was being circumcised, and he was being named. It's a great what we did today with the baptism, to go back and study why God did all of this in the Old Testament. It was a shadow. It was a shadow of the reality that was Christ. And as the reality appears, it overtakes the shadow. And that's the whole life of Christ, is the overtaking of the shadows. When the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. So we have Mary, Joseph, and little baby Jesus going off to the temple for purification. The Old Testament tells us that 33 days after a woman is to give birth, then she's to go to the temple and she's to offer if she can afford it a young lamb. They could not afford a young lamb, so they're bringing a couple of birds with them for her purification so that she can re-enter the temple and worship and supposedly touch holy things. I mean, this was a family that was doing the same thing that thousands upon thousands of Jewish families had done before Mary and Joseph. I mean, they were following the traditions of their family, the stories that had been told to them by their fathers, their grandfathers, their grandmothers, their great-great-grandmothers. They were doing life, just like many of you. I'm sure we could hear the stories of this young family talk about all the things they've done since Lucy's been born, the things that they bought that they never thought they would ever own, stuff that Will probably never even knew existed before Lucy came in. Wow, they make that? What is that? That's bizarre. We won't go into that. But they were doing life, just like these guys are doing life. And they had a thousand things on their mind when they're walking to the temple. And I can only guess this, but with all the deaths of so many babies, knowing that it's them that they were looking for, I bet there was also a little part of them that was looking over their shoulders, suspicious of everybody they were meeting. Are you from Herod? And in the middle of all that, they're walking to the temple. I'm sure they're tired. I'm sure that they've been wowed by the last month, maybe even looking for something normal. This guy, Simeon, comes running up to him. He's an old guy. He's been in church way too long. All right. He's that guy that I'm sure that you remember growing up in the little church you grew up in that was always at church and was a little weird. He grabs the baby. Now, for those of you that are mothers here, I don't have to describe to you what that must be like for a strange man to come up and grab your newborn baby out of your arms. Simeon's lucky he's still alive at this moment. He's dead now, all right? (laughs) Verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple court, and when the parents brought in the child, brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may dismiss your servant in peace. Okay, he got the baby in his arms. What's going on? Joseph and Mary don't know what's going on, and now he's talking about, now that I got the baby, I can die. That just struck me when I was reading it. Like, that would scare me if I was Mary. All right? Let's go on. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, his mother, And we'll mention this in just a minute, but listen to these words. This child is destined to cause the fall and the rising of many of Israel and be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Let me tell you where where we're going with this. So you know where we're going. So when I do rabbit trails, you can remember, all right? Simeon was a man that was marked by waiting. His whole life was marked by waiting on the Lord. The Lord had given him a promise, and he had staked his life on that promise, and he was waiting. And there's not a person in this room that's not waiting on the Lord in some capacity. And we're going to talk about how to wait. Simeon waited by doing three things. He was righteous, he was devout, and he was a man that was marked by the Holy Spirit. And we're, we're going there Because we as a community, as we enter Christmas, we need to be those that wait well because our God is faithful. Okay? But before we get there, I want us to look just briefly at what Simeon said. Because what he said, he was the first human to declare that this is the Messiah. And he was bringing a message that wasn't just from Simeon. He was bringing a message that had been bottled up inside of him his entire life. And this was his moment to to say, this is the one. And what did he choose to say? His sermon of a lifetime. This is his 15 minutes of fame. What does he say? This is the consolation of Israel. What? I think he'd come up with something better than that. What does that mean? Well, consolation really means comfort. It means help. It means encouragement. But what it literally means is the one that has been called by our side. That the consolation, the one, he has come beside us. He has come alongside of us. A great picture of this is in Isaiah chapter 40. And the whole chapter is started by these words comfort. It says it like two or three times in the first verse that God is bringing comfort. Listen how he describes that comfort in verse 11. He tends his flock like a shepherd. I want you to grab the poetry of this. This is beautiful language. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Isn't that a beautiful picture? You know, the great shepherd of the sheep, you know, and he picks us up and he rocks us, you know. He comforts us. But then this passage does something really bizarre. Because he goes from holding the little sheep to declaring the absolute unmatched power of God. He said he is the one that holds the oceans in his hands. He is the one that has made every star trillions upon trillions and he's named them all and he knows all the names that he's given to every one of them he is the one that every nation every king will bow their knee to him he is lord of lord and king of kings that he is the one that gives counsel and no one gives him counsel i mean he goes on and on to declare that there is none like him he is unmatched He is unmatched in his glory and his majesty and his strength and in his power and his providence that whatever he desires comes to pass. Nothing can stop anything that God wants to do. Why would he do that? We go from little sheep to... It's kind of like the Green Mile. Did y'all see the Green Mile? Anybody not see the Green Mile? We have a fruitcake for you later. All right? Remember uh, the character John Coffee? It's like the drink, but just spelt differently. Isn't that a great picture of power that men are fearful of? They'll, you know, it takes their breath away, but when you draw near, you realize that that power is couched in absolute tenderness and comfort for those that it wants to give it to. It's a beautiful thing that God says this famous passage at the end of Isaiah 40. He gives strength. Now let me stop. Because I'm trying to speak to those of you this morning that are aware of the fact that life is hard and that the journey that we're on is not easy. But there are things worth fighting for in our own hearts and our own community. Okay? And for those of us that are going to put on the armor of God and stand our ground, and we're saying, I'm going to step into the struggle and the difficultness of saying no to sin and yes to the Lord. In that vein, this is what the Lord says. He gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. Even youth grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. It's not just that God comforts us. It's not just that He's powerful. It's that He gives that power to us as comfort. How does he do that? And Simeon said it very clearly, Jesus and Jesus alone. That's it. Jesus came to live a perfect life and go to the cross to pay for our sins, to to build a bridge, to repair the breach between us and the Lord. He rose again so that those in Christ can rise to newness of life and that eternity doesn't start when we die. It starts now. That in Jesus, in Christ alone, what he did on the cross for us, in Christ alone. And our hope is in Christ alone. Simeon was saying, he came as our salvation. He also came as a light. A light to the Gentiles. Now, I won't spend any time on this, because re- remember, we're getting to the righteous, devout, and Holy Spirit. It's, but it's important for us to remember that uh, the last time we were scared of the dark. Can you remember the last time you were scared of the dark? Last night, maybe. What do we do when we're scared of the dark? You know, when I was in Africa, uh, you know, the last time I was in Africa, my son and I were in northern Uganda, and we were staying in Jojo's Palace Hotel. It was everything the name leads it to believe, all right? And uh, so, you know, we have the mosquito nets, and the power, and this is the town where the invisible children, if you've read anything about them, this is northern Uganda, territory of the Lord's Resistance Army. It's not nice at all. And at midnight, all the power goes out across town. So we're in our hotel room, hotel room, and, uh, and it happened the most dreaded thing that you just do not want to have happen in the middle of the night when you have no electricity. You know what that is? You've got to go to the bathroom. And it is terrifying because you, your imagination is going crazy about what kind of African insects are crawling across this floor that I'm about to step on. And I would love to have turned on the light to remove my fear to see what was really there. So this light imagery that God is in, infected the New Testament with, because it's all throughout the New Testament. There's almost 200 references to light in the New Testament alone. He is saying to us that if Christ is the Savior and if he's the one that brings the power and gives us power through the redemption work on the cross, what do we see when we turn on the light? 1 Peter chapter 2. This is beautiful. But this will mess you up if you believe it. You're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Is that just remarkable? It's just like a shepherd, isn't it? That when we turn on the light, what do we see? We see a mirror. And in that mirror, the great shepherd is saying, do you see it? Do you see how you have been changed? You are now a chosen people. You are now a royal priesthood. You are now a holy nation. You are now those that belong to God. And do you see what your life's about now? Do you see clearly the purpose why you are on this planet? It's right there. That we may declare the praises of him that has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness into his glorious light. We are praise givers. That's what Simeon was saying. Something big like that. So, Let's just take a few minutes and look at this whole idea that Simeon was a waiter. He was righteous, devout, and he was marked by the Holy Spirit. If you were waiting on the Lord right now, if you're in the, the pitch battle, the first thing I'm going to challenge you to is that you would commit yourself to righteous living. Living a life of obedience in the middle of your pain of waiting. And the reason I'm going to ask you to do that is what Simeon did Because there's never a time in your life that is more tempting to listen to the false promises of sin than when you're waiting. Because when we wait, what are we doing? Well, when is he going to get here? Is he coming at all? Did you make the call? Are you sure they're on their way? And sin comes in and it whispers. And what does it whisper? It whispers all the promises that it cannot fulfill. It'll whisper in and promise us so many things. And yet it can never deliver on them because only God is the promise keeper. So it's so easy for us when we lose heart in our, in our waiting that we turn to drink or we take holy things and we make them cheap or we turn to stealing or we turn to controlling our situations or we turn to anger or we turn to fear that if you're in a bad marriage, you turn to that lie that you think that somehow or another if you were married to another person that it would be any different that it's really not you at all, it's the other person. What a big lie that is. It's probably all your fault. Or the idea that maybe somebody else can make you happy. That's a beautiful lie, the evil one. Or if you're lonely here this morning, that it doesn't matter what kind of community you find, just as long as you're not alone anymore. That's a lie too. It matters what kind of community you find. Be faithful to God in your waiting. Simeon was. Because he believed the words of Psalm 119 when it says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light to my path. When David said, I store your word in my heart that I may not sin against thee. But how we wait is important. And we need to wait as those that have dedicated ourselves to understanding the path that the Lord wants us on and walking that path. The second thing that Simeon did is he was devout. And I love this because what does that mean, devout? Literally, it means taking hold well. Making room for those things in my life that are constant reminders that God is faithful. What preaches the gospel to your life? Are you making room for that? For prayer, for fasting, for his word? I have a good friend. She loves to run, and she confided in me one day. She goes, the reason I love to run so much is because I pray when I run. And it's just a holy thing for me. The endorphins are kicking in, you know. And she, but she always had these injuries. Like she always had wraps and band-aids and stuff. And I said, your running seems to be really dangerous. And she says, you know, it's stupid, but I just kind of get so into praying that I close my eyes. <laughs> and literally <laughs> once a week she would tumble or, you know, it, it, that's a true story. But she wouldn't give it up because... That's how she spoke the gospel to herself. That's how she preached the gospel into her life. What is it for you? Is it music? Is it conversations where you get together with your friends and say, look, I know there's a lot going on in your life, but we've got to talk about Jesus today. We've got to talk about his faithfulness to us. You've got to remind me again that he has not forgotten me and that the struggle that I'm going through, that it's not a struggle that he's not aware of. What preaches the gospel in your life? Have you ever fasted? Have you ever danced before the Lord? Well, there's an ego breaker. Just make sure there are no mirrors around. Well, some of you, when you dance, it's beautiful, all right? (laughs) Others of us, it looks somewhat like falling. (laughs) And then finally, Simeon, the Holy Spirit was upon him, and I'm just going to say this in closing. You know that's just a shadow of what we experience because he was of the old prophets. This was before Christ died. The Spirit was upon him. But those of us that are in Christ, the Spirit is within us. That we have the Holy Spirit on us. He's come as our comforter. He's come as our teacher. He's come as our counselor. He's come as our empowerer. He's come as our constant companion, and he's come as our sanctifier. He's the one that's going to accomplish and finish the work that was started in us the day that we became believers. Do you believe that? I mean, seriously, what does that matter? And let me tell you why that matters in waiting. There's a show that uh, Maggie, my daughter, was trying to tell me about the other day that I could not believe is on television, but I haven't seen it yet. It's called, uh, I Didn't Know I Was Pregnant. Have anybody seen this? A few of you have seen it? All right, okay. And evidently it's a show about women, because men don't get pregnant, um, that don't know that they're pregnant until they go into labor, like at McDonald's bathrooms and stuff, you know? (laughs) And I can't think of anything, because the movie, I guess, is, you know, the zany antics of pregnant women who don't know they're pregnant, you know, I don't know how they build the show, but uh, I can't think of anything that would be more terrifying, because if you're going into labor, and you don't know that you're going into labor, women, what do you think is happening to you? You're dying. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Put me out of my misery. That kind of pain only creates unbelievable fear when you don't know what's going on. Okay, track with me and then we're about to come to the table. The Holy Spirit, if you're a believer here this morning, the Holy Spirit is in you. That's not a that's not a flip of the coin. If you got Christ, you got the Spirit. We don't have time to study Romans 8. But let me tell you, let me tell you what the Holy Spirit is doing in you. He's creating all kinds of problems. Because he is waging war against those things that are of your flesh that are not of God. And, and he is birthing things in you. And he is birthing vision in you. And he's birthing identity in you. He is pushing you into the glorious light of everything that we've talked about this morning. And if you don't know that you're pregnant with the Holy Spirit, your walk with Christ is going to be a miserable experience. Because as the Holy Spirit is pushing us into the glorious light and we feel the pain and the struggle waiting on the Lord to release us from those things that seem to have a grip on us, we will think that we are dying instead of being born into the reality of the glory of our Father who is the great shepherd of the sheep. There are some of you here this morning that the Holy Spirit is pushing you into a vision. He's pushing you into things that you're like, I just can't go there, Lord. And you don't even realize that you're pregnant with what the Lord is about to birth out of your own life. But when you know that you're pregnant, oh, then you, you paint your house, you decorate special rooms, you buy things like cribs and strollers and other things that I won't mention. And you await and even the pain. I, women, please bear with me. Because what does he know? He's never had a baby. I've been around for three of them, all right? But there in the pain... There is anticipation. And even John says that when the child is born, the pain is quickly forgotten. Why is that? Because the pain gave birth to the life. And if you're here this morning in Christ, the Holy Spirit is in you. If you don't believe that when he speaks, it will be pain for you. Simeon understood the Holy Spirit was on him. And so all the pain of waiting was released when he saw Christ. Behold, He's come. He's here. The consolation of Israel. The Savior. The light unto the world. So this Christmas, I hope, is marked by you that you realize He's come into the middle of your humanity. And He may be awakening you to the reality that you're waiting. Do it righteously, with great devotion, and the awareness that the Holy Spirit is working out His purposes in your life. Let's pray and then we'll come to the table. Lord, thank you for your goodness, for your blessedness. I thank you that you're a God that reveals yourself in the middle of our humanity. Continue to do that this morning. Amen.